Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. All right. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. It's always good to uh, get together with you all on Shabbat. I have a lot to uh, share with you today. Just let me get my message up here so I can... So I, I would say um, probably several months ago, I gave this message, Prepare and Proclaim, Part 1. So I thought I would finish it with Part 2 and tie it all in to what the Lord's doing with us uh, over in the Philippines and the missions that he has given to us. So it all kind of ties in. So David always says whenever I speak, I have about two hours. So, But I will condense that for your sakes and for our tummy's sake to have it done within an hour. So... Let's, let's review slide one. The last time I spoke, I said, you know, we get, preparation takes two forms, preparing spiritually and preparing physically. And only when you are prepared spiritually can you effectively proclaim the gospel. And only after the gospel is proclaimed as a witness to the whole world can the end come. And only then... Can our physical preparations in conjunction with God's sovereign grace come into play? And even then, there are no guarantees that we will escape martyrdom. Preparation comes through obedience to God's word. It's as simple as that. So, brethren, what, what is our calling? Okay, as believers in Messiah, we're all here gathered together every Shabbat. What is our calling? Well, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, he says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Do we have any noble men in the audience today? Do we have any mighty men with us today. I would venture not, because he has called the weak and the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put this thing, the shame, the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised, God has chosen. That's us, brethren. That's us in a nutshell. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. And he continues in Galatians 6.3. He says, if anyone thinks he is something when he is really nothing, he is fooling himself. And so we have to be very careful, brethren, with how we come across as other people, how we elevate ourselves, especially with new believers coming in and we think we know everything when really we don't know anything. As I get older, I find the more that I get older, the less I know. The more I think I know, the less I, I know I don't know. I don't know anything. I'm just a, a little servant of God that goes and does what he tells me to do. And I don't do it perfectly. And... I do it in weakness. I mean, look at me. I mean, I'm just a 
scrawny little. When I was growing up and when I was in my 20s, I probably weighed like 110 pounds after a heavy meal with a milkshake. But let me tell you, when I was called, and what's going back about when I was like 18 in my 20s, you know, I was a computer consultant. I would go into Fortune 5,000 companies, and I would sit with CEOs, CFOs, IT managers, and I would sell these guys million-dollar computer systems. And I was just a skinny, scrawny little kid. But with the power of the Lord and his grace, I was able to, you know, woo these people and give them what they needed because I had that attitude that I wanted to serve them. I wanted to give them the best, and it just grew from there. And so the Lord was very gracious to me um, in that aspect. And so let's continue with what Paul says in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. He says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and the high priest of our confession, Yeshua HaMashiach, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful, was faithful in all his house. So, brethren, are we, are we being faithful to our calling? And we're going to get into here in a little bit, what is our calling? What are we called to do? We're all gathered together. We all have different gifts. We all have different callings and talents. What has God called you to do to prepare for the kingdom that is coming? Because the marriage supper is coming. Yeshua is returning. Whether we're ready or not, he is returning and he's going to have that marriage supper with his bride that who is prepared for him to return. So are we excited about that? Are we excited that Yeshua is ready to return? Or do you enjoy living in this world that we're in right now? You know, what happened last week? I was out in San Diego all week, so I may be a little off today because I'm still a little jet lagged. I got in yesterday around after lunch. But I was at work all week in San Diego and I heard about the shooting, and it's more carnage, right? You know, Satan has his agenda. God has his agenda. Which agenda are we on? Are we allowing the Ruach to work through us and prepare for the kingdom of God, to proclaim and prepare other people to enter into the kingdom of God or are we so engrossed in this world with our social media and our movies and all the things that we like to do that we just neglect daily Bible study, daily prayer, helping others that we can? You know, where, where are we at? We can't have one foot in the world and one foot in God's kingdom. It's just not going to work. He's going to come and he's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. And he's going to burn up the chaff. So... And as uh, I think Elisa mentioned in her, her teaching here uh, just a little while ago, you know, we were talking about the marriage supper and how are you dressed. Rusty was talking about how are you dressed before God. And he's coming. He's coming to claim his bride. And so we have to prepare. And part of that preparation is obedience to God's word. And the only way we can become obedient to God's word is if we read the word and we do what it says. We can't have, we can't be wishy-washy. We can't say, well, I see the word really tells me to do this, but I really want to do this, so I'm going to go do that. And God will know. He'll forgive me later. You know, you only get so many chances. I mean, you only get so much uh, time to repent until the Lord drops the hammer on you. And 
let me tell you from experience, I've lost everything. I told you, some of you before, you know, I had a messy divorce. I've had to claim bankruptcy. I lost my house. I lost my kids. I've lost everything. So if you want to know how to fail in this world, come see me. I'll tell you how to do it. But the Lord was gracious because I did one thing. I had two choices. I said, I can either go back to the world like a dog to its vomit, or I can devote myself to God. So I had that little apartment that I had, and I didn't have TV. I didn't have social media. I didn't have nothing. And I just devoted my time to study and prayer and fasting. And the Lord restored to me tenfold of what I lost. So that's what I'm going to share with you today is what we're doing in the Philippines. If I hadn't had that loss, I wouldn't have had the, what we're doing today, uh, planting the seeds and seeing the harvest that is being prepared for when Yeshua returns. So in Matthew 7, verse 13 through 14, what does Yeshua tell us? He says, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many, not a few, there are many who go by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. And I think this is what Elisa was um, uh, mentioned earlier was many are called, but fewer chosen. I can't remember if it was her or somebody else, but I just remember hearing that. And it kind of ties in with this narrow gate because many are called. We're all called. Are we all going to be chosen? That's, that's, the, you know, that's the dilemma right now, right? Many are called, but few are chosen. And so Yeshua tells us in Matthew 24, he's, he's talking about the signs of the times, and this ties in with what's going on right now today. He says, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, and they said, tell us, when are all these things going to be? What is the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And what did he tell them? Later, in, in dropping down to verse 12 and 13, he says, lawlessness will abound. So we saw that this week, right? We saw mass murder again in Texas, little kids. I mean, it breaks my heart that we have to go through this again. And lawlessness will abound. The love of many will grow cold, but he or she who endures to the end shall be saved. And that's us. We have to endure. We have no other choice. We have no other choice but to endure to the end, no matter what happens, no matter what we go through, what persecution, what trials, temptations, whatever we go through, we have to endure to the end. And the only way we can endure to the end is if we cling to that word, that Torah, and cling to each other, and most important, cling to Yeshua. And he says in verse 14, you know, he says that lawlessness will abound, the love of many will go cold. But then what does he say? The gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to not just one nation, not just some nations, to all the nations. And then, then the end will come. And the Father will send Yeshua to finally establish his kingdom in Jerusalem at Mount Zion, and we hopefully will be there. And whether we're alive or deceased, 
We will either be resurrected or transformed, and we will meet him when he returns. When that last shofar is blown on the Feast of Trumpets, Yom Teruah, we will be there with him if we endure to the end. Are you willing to endure to the end, brethren? Let's, let's make it our purpose to do that, to endure to the very end, because times are going to get dark. And I've shared this with you before. You know, I, I said, you know, the COVID and now the monkeypox and now we, you know, the mass shootings, all the nonsense that's going on in the world. The enemy has his agenda. He has his army. He's raising his people up to do carnage because he does not want us to succeed. He wants to destroy God's creation through abortion, murder, any way that he can destroy human beings through war, through carnage, through drug abuse, through sin of any type, that's his agenda. And we have to be mindful of that, and we have to be on guard against it. We cannot be like the Israelites when they were in the wilderness and the Moabite women came and they were all tempted by their lusts and their desires. We have to put on the whole armor of God, and we have to reject those temptations because they will come they have come i mean i know several people that have already fallen away doing stuff that they shouldn't have been doing and are no longer following us and like the lord says a dog returns to its vomit and a pig wallows in it you know cleans itself and wallows in the mud just to wallow back in the mud we have to be very very careful of how we're living our lives today <laughs> so that we can be with Messiah tomorrow because he's only asking us for a little bit of time. He has called us out of this world for a purpose. You know, he could have called somebody else, but he's called each and every one of you for a purpose, and he's asking for a little bit of your time for eternal glory. Are you willing to give him a little bit of your time today for eternal glory tomorrow? Not that we do that to gain the eternal glory, but that's our calling. He has called us to live lives of righteousness and holiness before him now so that we can be with him for all eternity because he needs an administrative team. He can't do it all on his own. He could if he wanted to, but he doesn't want to. He wants us all involved in the work of the kingdom of God. And so he's calling each and every one of us to be able to be part of that. And we all have our assigned, chosen parts that he's given to us to be able to... To, uh, to be able to administer the kingdom. The next slide says, proclaiming the gospel must be our priority. There should be no other priority except proclaiming the gospel because we know when the gospel is proclaimed, as he said, as Yeshua said in Matthew, when the gospel is proclaimed to all the nations of the earth, then the end will come. And so that's what we're wanting. We're wanting Messiah to return, finally. You know, it's been over 2,000 years since he first walked this earth. We're ready. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm tired of all the nonsense that's going on. And it's getting darker and darker, and it will continue to get darker until he returns. He says, or I say, um, proclaiming the gospel must be our priority, but we cannot do it effectively if we are not prepared 
spiritually to do so. And the only way we can be properly prepared is by obedience to Torah and loving his commands, his decrees, and his ordinances with all our heart and soul. In Luke chapter 12, verse 22 and 23, what does Yeshua Tell his, tell, tell Medim, his disciples. He says, Yeshua said, because of this, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or what you're going to put on, what you're going to wear, for life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. So the people in the world, they worry about this stuff, right? Like, what am I going to eat? Uh, do I got a job? What about my health care? I can't go anywhere if I don't have health care. You know, they worry about all these things. And Yeshua says, don't worry about this. He will take care of it. He's given us a commission to go and serve him. And he says, don't worry about these things. Not that we don't take care of ourselves and our families and our children. We make sure their needs are taken care of, but we do it in a way in faith that Yeshua will provide everything that we need to be able to do the work that he has called us to do. And dropping down to verse 29 and 31, he says, in other words, don't strive after what you will eat and what you will drink. Don't be anxious. For all the pagan nations in the world set their hearts on these things. But your father knows, right? He's not deaf. He, he knows. He's intimately involved in all of our lives. He says, your father knows that you need them too. Rather, seek his kingdom, and then all those things will be given to you. So that's the promise. Seek first the kingdom of God and all the things that you worry about with your physical um, attributes, your, your, your food, your clothing, will all be added to you. He will take care of us just as he takes care of the birds and the sparrows and all his creatures that roam around this earth. And then dropping in 32 in verse 33, he says, have no fear, little flock, for your father has resolved to give you the kingdom. He's already resolved to give it to us. He says, sell what you own and do sadaka, do charitable deeds. Make for yourselves purses that don't wear out, riches in heaven that never fail, where no burglar comes in and moth will not destroy it or decay. So he says, don't fear. Your father, he's already planning. You know, what, what did he say before he left? He goes, my, in my house are many rooms, many mansions, and some translations. I go and prepare a place for you. He's already resolved to give us the kingdom. We just need to be doing what he told us to do, keep obedient to Torah, love one another, preach his gospel, endure to the end when hardships and problems come in our lives, and we will be there. It, it's, it, it sounds simple, right? But it's not. It's, it's not simple. I mean, all of us here have different losses and different things going on in our lives, and it's very trying and tempting I mean, it, it really um, puts a strain on us sometimes. And we're wondering, well, you know, where is God? What's going on? But don't worry. He is intimately involved in each and every one of our lives. He loves you very much. He cares for you. He's refining each and every one of us just like silver and gold. And, yes, we have to go through the trials of fires. But, you know, just like Peter said, you know, don't count it all joy. Or James said, count it all joy. 
when you go into these trials. So don't let it get you down. Don't let it get you discouraged when you go through these hardships. Just realize that God is refining you and refining each and every one of us in some shape or matter. In Luke 12, verse 34, what does Yeshua say? He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So my question to you, brethren, and you don't have to answer, but where is your treasure? Is it in the things of this world? Are you more worried about, like, uh, you know, the NFL starting up pretty soon? Are you, are you excited about that or baseball? Or I don't even watch much TV anymore, if at all, so I don't really don't know what's going on and what season we're in. But are you more worried about sports and, and, and money and fame and your work? Have, have they all become your gods? Or is your treasure in heaven, in the word of God, is that where your treasure is? Because that's where your heart will be if that's where your treasure really is. And those are internal questions that you have to answer. No one can answer those for you except yourself. And you know where you're at with your walk with God. And you know where you need to improve. I know where I need to improve. And we need to go about improving our lives and drawing closer to God and to Yeshua and to each other each and every day. So in Luke 12, verse 35, Yeshua says, are you, are you ready? He says, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master. So are we waiting for the master right now? That when he returns from the wedding, that when he comes and he knocks, that they may open to him immediately, blessed are those servants whom the master when he comes, will be found watching, waiting for him. They'll be prepared. They will have on those holy garments. They'll have their oils or their lamps filled with oil, and they will be ready for when the master comes. But know this, in verse 39, he says, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Right? We all expected him to come when? The year 2000. When the year 2000 came, well, it's 2,000 years. Uh, you know, if 1,000 years is a day, and we're in the sixth day, well, the Lord should be coming the year 2000. Well, here it is, 2022, halfway through the year, and, and the Lord's still hasn't hasn't returned yet so are we getting worn down are we getting tired of waiting or just going about our own business say ah, the lord he'll come someday he'll come when he comes i'll be ready yeah i'll get ready you know maybe a week before he comes if i if i see these bad things going on i figure he's going to be coming soon so then i'll i'll really start preparing that's not how it works you have to prepare now we have to repair now because he is coming and when the things start moving in this world, they're going to move very, very fast. I mean, you think COVID was, you know, locking down the world was, a, that was just a little harbinger. That was just a little foretaste of what's coming upon this earth. And when it comes, we're either going to be ready or we're not going to be ready. And you'll know whether you're ready 
or not when the stuff comes and what your reaction is when times really start getting tough. So we have to be discerning the times that we're in right now. As it says in Luke 12, 49, what did Yeshua say? He says, I came to send fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. You know, I'm sure Yeshua sits up at the throne of God and he's saying, Father, send me now. Send me now. I'm tired of seeing these kids be killed. I'm tired of all this immorality. I'm tired of them profaning your name and your word. Send me now. I'm ready to take the kingdom now. But the Father hasn't sent him yet. He's still waiting. What's he waiting for? He's waiting for us. He's waiting for the harvest. He's waiting for this word to be preached to all nations, to all people, until he's going to send Messiah until our brethren in the land call out to him and we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting but we need to be about the father's business so that he can finally send his son to come and set up his throne upon this earth in verse 51 and 52 of Luke he says do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth you know everyone says well if God really uh, was there, he, he loved us, he wouldn't allow this stuff to happen. Well, Yeshua says right here, do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? He says, I tell you, not at all, but rather division. Well, do we have division on earth today? I would say we have great division in earth, on the earth today. He says, for from now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. We have such division on the earth today just in our politics here in the States. I mean, we know what's going on. It's like it's good and evil, right? I mean, that's all you can say. You don't even have to say Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal anymore. Just say good and evil. That's all you have to be concerned about. What side are you on? So now I want to get into a little bit of our trip and how this all ties in with what the Lord is giving us to do in the Philippines. We just got back about a month ago, spent the Passover there. And I find it fascinating that many Messianic believers do not understand the important role that the Philippines has played and continues to play with the land of Israel. There's this alliance between Israel, the Philippines, and the States, and we're all connected together. So next slide, please. In the late 1930s, and I don't know if you can see that very well. Yeah, you can see that. So that's a picture in Manila. It says, in the late 1930s, Philippines President Manuel Quezon welcomed over 1,200 Jews from Germany and Austria. These Jewish refu refugees became known as the Manila Manilaners, and they escaped Hitler's growing menace, and they reached the Philippine capital. Now, President Kazan wanted to bring tens of thousands of Jews from Germany and Austria, but the United States put a quota on it that would only allow 1,000 a year to come over. So in essence, our country is responsible probably for the massacre of tens of thousands of our Jewish brethren not making it to a safe haven. But the Philippines opened up their doors and they allowed the refugees to come. They settled in Manila. They had, there's a beautiful synagogue in Manila, even till today. And I think there's like probably several hundred 
uh, Jews living in the Philippines, and there's many scattered amongst the 7,100 islands. And as I told you before, uh, for those who are here, you know, the rabbi that's in the, at the synagogue in Manila, he knows where the Jewish people are because whenever there's a death on one of the islands, he's sent to go do the rites. So he's got a record of where everybody is. And I haven't had the pleasure of meeting with this guy yet, but one day I plan on having a, a conversation with the chief rabbi there in the Manila synagogue. If you can go to the next slide. They, they made a couple movies about this, and I would encourage each of you to maybe watch one of these movies, especially Kazan's um, Game, if you can find that. And they also did a documentary called The Last Manilaner. And then in 2012, they did another documentary called uh, An Open Door Jewish Rescue in the Philippines. There's also a book you can get on Amazon called um, Escape to Manila. Um, so what happened was when, when, when the Jews were allowed to come into the Philippines, the United States was still in control there. And then when World War II started and the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor and the Nazi regime was, was rising up and the United States had to flee the Philippines and the Japanese took over. And, and some of you who are in the military, you may have heard of the Bataan Death March. That was when uh, it's outside Manila where they would march the U.S. soldiers and Philippine soldiers and whoever they captured down this long couple mile trail and basically they all died and slaughtered. There's a big monument now um, dedicated to them. There's also monuments down on the other islands of uh, General uh, MacArthur and his team when he said, I will be back. He came back in the island of Leyte and then we finally drove the, the Japanese out of the Philippines. But while they were there, they rounded people up and they wanted to see everyone's passports. And when the Jews who had just come from Germany and Austria, they all had German passports. So when they showed the Japanese their passports, they were German passports. And because German and Japan were aligned, they said, oh, okay, you're, you're good. And they just left them live in peace. So the Jews uh, flourished in the land. And I think out of the 1,200, from what I read, out of the 1,200 Jews that settled in the Philippines, that has grown into over 8,000 um, people who have been born after the refugees were there. And uh, the guy in the wheelchair, he's over 90 years old. This was taken in 2020. Um, that's Alan Schneider. And um, I'm sorry, that's uh, Max Weisler. He's one of the surviving uh, Manilaners. Um, and he was in the Philippine embassy in Israel. And so during um, the 70th year, of the anniversary of the birth of Israel, uh, several, probably, I don't know, so many years ago, our good Messianic friend um, that we know there who has since passed away, Cecil Padilla, he did a 70th anniversary march, and they had like a big parade and uh, through Manila and Makati and all through the, the Philippines. I, there's a videos of it. I, I have it somewhere. I don't know if you can find it on YouTube anymore. But they were big supporters. The Israeli ambassador came over. We have another Messianic couple called Paul and Grace Gubana. And Grace goes to Israel several times a year. 
She has made the largest Israel flag outside of Israel, and it's on display in Israel somewhere. She's also made, and I wish I would have brought pictures of it, but I, I didn't. Elda and I, she also built the largest ark replica of the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, it stands, it's above our heads. I mean, it's real big. It's really a big, big ark with the holders and everything. And Elda and I, we have our picture next to it. And they have a little museum there at their congregation in Manila, the Messianic congregation, where they have all these uh, artifacts and uh, things on display. And you can take a tour of this little museum. But there are Messianic friends that that live over there. They, they actually own a tea company. Uh, you can buy their tea in the grocery store. So they run a little herbal tea company. And uh, they're very well known and very well established. But they're the Messianics. And Cecil Padilla was the son of a senator. He lived in Cuba, him and his Filipino wife, or Cuban wife. And when Fidel Castro came into power, they fled Cuba. They went back to Manila. Um, they established Messianic congregations there, and he started a company that makes pre-stressed concrete, and they build condominiums. So if you go down um, in the Makati, which is like the Wall Street area of Manila, the business section, you'll see his first building, and it'll say the Padilla building, and they have this big condo, and he passed away, and um, his wife and son are running the company now, but they're still building and doing things, and uh, they still have a Messianic congregation there. The pastor who runs that congregation, his name is uh, Pastor Oni Basa. He's an elderly gentleman, too. He's probably, well, I forget elder. He's in his 70s, I think, now, right? He's in his 70s. Well, he came down and visited with uh, us while we were there, and we had a Shabbat together and we had a boodle fight which I'll, I'll show you pictures of if you want to know what that is and he gave a message and he does um he was doing a radio program and a Torah study and now he does his live stream every Shabbat he's got a his, his assistant has a little Mac Pro and they do the live video stream and he saves those recordings and he's written books and uh, he lives up in Manila, and it's, he's a little far away from me, so we don't get together too often, but we, we talk on Messenger all the time, and I was blessed. You know, he's getting older. I think he's getting arthritis. It's hard for him to get around, but he came down with several uh, associates of his and spent Shabbat with us, and we had a good time. But um, going to the next slide, please. Um, from this film, this, this Kazan's Game, the, the director, Matthew Rosen, said one of the most common reactions to the film by rabbis and Jewish communities is, I had no idea. So how many here that doesn't, uh, maybe heard me for the first time, how many of you known that the Philippines saved 1,200 Jews before the Holocaust? Does anyone in here know that? This is the stuff that gets suppressed. So I want you to really understand and, and pray that you have brethren in the Philippines that love Israel and who helped save many Jews before the Holocaust. And it was the president who initiated that. And it's a blessing that he was able to save that many. He, he says, I wish I could have saved thousands more, but his hands were tied. And so Matthew Rosen, the director, says, for me, 
it makes me feel more necessary to do this to tell the Jewish community that the Philippines stuck out a helping hand when they really needed it. And they needed it before the Holocaust. And he saved, uh, the President Kazan in the Philippines saved many, many lives and families. So where does that leave us? I mean, I don't think uh, President Kazan was a messianic or even a Jewish believer, but the Lord put it on his heart to do this. And we're thankful for that. But what about us, brethren? What is our commission? What is our commission? He says, Yeshua came in Matthew 28, 18. Yeshua came and he talked with the disciples. And he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He says, therefore, go make people from all nations in the Talmudin. You know, go and make disciples of all nations. Doing what? Immersing them into the reality of the Father, the Son, and the Ruach HaKodesh. And teaching them to what? Obey everything that I have commanded you. To teach them Torah. And how to live holy, righteous lives according to Torah. And remember, I will be with you always, yes, even until the end of the age. So that's what he has called us to do. You know, if I hadn't gone through my mess early on, I would have never met Elda. And we have never been called to go do what we're doing today in planting seeds. And who knows where these seeds go? I don't know what happens. The way we operate is we go over there. And we let people know that we're coming, and the word starts getting out. And the next thing I know, there's people showing up everywhere. And there's a lot of Messianics in the Philippines. I want you to know that. There's a lot of Messianic believers. There's a lot of Seventh-day Adventist believers. There's a lot of Church of Christ believers that, for whatever reason, every time we go to the Philippines, I have these Church of Christ pastors come and attend. This year, they attended our Passover. This year, they came to the Shabbat services. Uh, we had an overnight um, gathering where we, we had a Friday night study. We stayed overnight Friday night. We stayed up to like midnight, 1 o'clock, doing Bible studies. We were learning about different Hebrew words, and we were just having great open discussion, and there was, Elder was there with the women, and I was with the men, and we stayed up. We had a great time. We had dinner together, and just talking about the, the, the Lord and talking about his word. And these were people that were not Messianic. Most of these were uh, Church of Christ members. They had their families there. They had their kids there. We let them stay overnight in our event center. They brought their sleeping bags. They brought the little tents and they had the little uh, pop-up tents and they put them inside the event center. And they, we had a great, great evening and we were just sharing the word. And so we're just going over there and we're planting these seeds. And we never know what's going to germinate and how they're going to grow. Um, the one Shabbat we were there, after Shabbat, we had a first fruit service after Passover. So we had Passover, we had a Shabbat service, and we had a first fruit service on that Sunday. And then I did an immersion after that. So I always try to give an immersion message when I'm over there and first fruits tied into all that. And so after that we immersed, I think, 13 or 14 people after that service. New believers, people that had not been immersed before. So I think we're up to 
close to 275 people since 2015 that we have immersed. Uh, we did a wedding while I was over there, a Messianic wedding, who I think you know the person. Um, so we did that. We had three Shabbat service. We had Passover. We had first fruit service. And then we had to take care of some uh, business that we needed to take care of there. But we had a pretty full, you know, it was like we weren't even there a full three weeks, but we, we were able to get a lot in in those three weeks. And so while we were there, um, after that immersion, I had, well, it was actually during that immersion, I had these two guys come. They were, one was affiliated with the Church of Christ, and I don't know, the other guy was kind of like independent, but he was an older gentleman, he was like 70 years old, and he's weeping. And he, he came for the message, and then afterwards he wanted me to immerse him. He says, I have been waiting for this day for years that I wanted to be immersed by a person who called upon the name of Yeshua and who was one from one of the tribes of Israel. And it just like blew me away. It's like this guy had waited for years for me to come and immerse him. And it wasn't me. I mean, he was waiting for somebody to come and immerse him in the name of Yeshua. And it just blew me away that this is the kind of stuff that happens when we're over there. And I don't, you know, we don't plan this. It just, just comes and happens. So I was blessed to be able to immerse this elderly gentleman. And he was just weeping like a baby. I mean, it was just, it was just surreal to me. And it was a real blessing of our trip. So let's move on to Ephesians uh, chapter 4. What does Paul tell us? He says, furthermore, he gave some people as emissaries, some as prophets, some as proclaimers of the good news, and some as shepherds and teachers. You know, they're all different. You know, all those categories are a little, little different. And what is their task? What is our task? To equip God's people for the work of service that builds the body of the Messiah until we all arrive at the unity implied by trusting and knowing the Son of God at full manhood at the standard of maturity set by Messiah's perfection. So he is our example. And Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit gives them, right? There are different ways of serving, but it is the same Lord being served. And there are different modes of working, but it is the same God working through all and everyone. Moreover, to each person is given particular manifestation of the Spirit that will be for the common good. So we all have some manifestation of the Ruach that is supposed to be for the equipment of the saints and for the common good of not only our brethren around us, but for our families, for our communities, and to be a, a light and an example uh, to the nations. And he goes on in verse 8, he says, To one through the Spirit is giving a word of wisdom, to another a word of knowledge in accordance with the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing, by the same Spirit to another the working of miracles, prophecy, ability to judge between spirits, the ability to speak in different kinds of tongues, and the ability to interpret tongues. So each and every one of us is given some type of gift to edify the body. And he says in verse 27 and 28, he says, 
Now you together, you constitute, we all constitute the body of Messiah, and individually we are all parts of it, right? And God has placed in the Messianic community first emissaries, prophets, and third, teachers. Then those who work miracles, those with gifts of healings, those with the ability to help, those skilled in administration, and those who speak in various tongues. So here we got like three scriptures that's basically telling us that we all have certain gifts and skills and talents that we can use to do the Great Commission. Because we're not all called to be teachers and preachers. We can't all travel to the Philippines. We can't all travel to Israel. You know, we have families. We have children. We have different responsibilities, but we can all do something. God has gifted each and every one of us with something that we can do to edify the body of Messiah. And he goes on in verse 29. He goes, are all emissaries? No, not all are prophets. Not all are teachers or miracle workers. Not all have gifts of healing. Not all speak in tongues. Not all interpret, do they? And then he says, what? Eagerly seek the better gifts. And he says, I will show you the best way of all. So we all have this gift. We can all exercise this gift. He says in 1 Corinthians 13, we should all know this chapter, right? We could do a whole teaching on 1 Corinthians 13. He goes... You know, I may have the gift of prophecy, I may phantom all mysteries, I may know all things, have all faith, enough to move mountains. But if I lack love, we are nothing. And that is the key, brethren. I think some of us here, many of us, we've gotten too comfortable in our way of life. You know, we come here on Shabbat, and some of us, I believe, we, we feel we're a little looked down sometimes upon other people. And I think we have to cut to the chase and stop doing that. I think we've become very judgmental, almost elevated, right? What did I read the first scripture? I read that many weak are called, that many noble. He chose the base things of the world to put to shame the mighty. But if you think you are something that you're not, you're fooling yourself. You become a foolish person. You know, and that's what got Nebuchadnezzar in trouble, like we learned about last week. We have to be very, very careful how we judge and look down upon other people, whether they're in our faith or outside our faith. We have to have love. And love is, to me, classified or defined as the outgoing concern for others better than yourself. We need to be sacrificing ourselves to love other people. We need to be elevating and lifting up other people and not elevating and lifting up ourselves that we have all this knowledge and we can do this and we can do that. We're nothing. In God's eyes, we are nothing but filthy rags in his sight if we think ourselves more highly than any of our brethren or anybody else that he hasn't called yet because they haven't been enlightened. That doesn't mean that they won't be um, in the future, right? I mean, I've known people who have murdered people who have committed their lives to Yeshua and are some of the most humble people on the earth right now because they know they should be dead. They know they should have been tried and executed for their crimes, but for whatever reason, God used them to spare their life, and now they go and do prison ministry and preach to others and help bring other people into the faith. Each of us has experiences that we have gone through 
that we can use, that God can use through us to help and edify other people. The key is, are we using those gifts or are we just becoming self-centered and doing our own thing and we just come here to be entertained and dance and go have oneg afterwards? You know, we have to be very, very careful of where we are with our walk in Messiah right now. We're either wheat or we're chaff. We're either sheep or we're goats. And you know, I don't have to, I don't have to say much more about that. We all know where we stand with Messiah right now and the things that we have to work on. And he goes on to say, you know, love is patient, kind. You, you can read the chapter yourself for time's sake. It's not jealous, boastful, does not keep records of wrong, does not gloat over other people's sins, but he takes delight in the truth, always lifts up, always trusts, hopes, always endures, love never fails. And he says everything else will pass, but uh, the love will never fail. And one thing that we can do, brethren, if you want to jump to uh, the slide with Proverbs 22.6, each of us who have small children, teenagers, we can train up our children in the way of Torah. Because if you don't do it, Satan's going to do it because he's waiting for them. The dragon is waiting for your children in public school and in society. And even if you homeschool your kid, they, they see things. They, they, they know they got peers. They, they see things. That evil inclination is always there. But if you train up a child in the way he should go and teaching them Torah, at least you can put a shield and a protector around them and then be praying for your kids each and every day because the evil one wants to devour them. He is a hungry lion and he wants to devour our children. If he can't kill them through abortion or through mass murder, He's going to get them through their minds and through indoctrination in college. And we have to be really protecting and praying and teaching our children what is good, what is holy, and what is right and what is wrong. You just don't give a child everything they want. You have to be disciplined. You have to discipline them. You have to teach them what is right and what is wrong so that when they grow up, they will stay with us and not go out and do their own thing and sow their wild oats and then come back years later when, like the prodigal son, after he eats the pig slop and comes to his senses. So, you know, Shavuot's coming up next week, right? And so we were touching a little bit about this uh, during some of the liturgy and the worship. And go to the next slide, Deuteronomy 26, 17. So during Shavuot, what did the children of Israel say? And what are we saying today? Are we saying that today you have proclaimed the Lord to be your God and that you will walk in his ways and you will keep his statutes, his commandments, and his judgments and that you will obey his voice? Are you willing to do that? When I immersed everyone when I was over in the Philippines, the first I asked them three questions. I said, do you believe Yeshua is your Messiah and are you willing to commit your life to him? I said, are you willing to obey him and keep all his commandments, statutes, and decrees? And I forget what the third one was. I had another question, but I forget what it was. <laughs> so I said those two questions, but the one question was, are you willing to commit your life to him and keep his commandments, statutes, and decrees? And everyone said yes. So they were making a proclamation, a public proclamation, not to me, but to God, while before I immersed them, 
And so in the next slide, he says, today, the Lord has proclaimed you to be his special people, just as he promised you that you should keep all his commandments and that he will set you high above all nations, which he had made. Remember, he said he calls the base things of the, of the world to confound the mighty. And now he says, if you keep his commands, just as he promised you, you will be set a high above all nations, which he had made in praise and name and in honor, and that you may be a holy people to the Lord your God, just as he has spoken. And that's where the Lord is looking for us to commit to him so he can fulfill his side of the bargain, his promises to us to make us a set-apart holy people to him. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to dedicate ourselves to God, to his Torah, to his commandments, so that he can set us apart and make us holy people unto him? And I hope it's yes for everyone. And then we get to the future, okay? The future doesn't look good right now, right? But, it, but take heart. We know the kingdom is in God's hands. We know the two witnesses will eventually come on the scene. We know the angels and the shofars are about to be blown. And the worship team, you know, they said Revelation 11. They said the seventh angel sounded and there was a loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord. And it was his Messiah and he shall reign forever and ever. And in verse 20, chapter 20, verse 4, he says, I saw thrones and those who seated on it for testifying, for proclaiming the gospel and proclaiming the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received the mark on their foreheads. They came to life and they ruled with the Messiah for a thousand years. So that's all I have for this message. I want to show a little video. It's only a minute and a half. And then uh, we'll close after that. So you can roll the video now. And I don't have any words behind, but that's our place in the Philippines. So uh, we have a little resort there. That was some Israeli wine that we did at the wedding. I, I actually uh, imported that. This is some of our Passover. It's not everyone seated. We had about uh, 85 to 90 people there. Those are some people at the head table. There's Clint. And uh, these are all pastors, all the people you see seated there. Some of them are pastors from Church of Christ. Some of them are other Messianic pastors. Uh, we did some uh, baptisms. I didn't, do, I didn't show them all. I just showed a select few. And you can tell I'm getting old, right? See, look at my, my I said, getting this wrinkle in my neck here and everything. So I told the Lord, I said, hey, you got to send me soon because I'm getting old. My, my hips are hurting. My legs are hurting. It's like... You got to send me soon because I don't got much strength left. But the Lord always gives me strength when I'm there. I'm nonstop when I'm over there, and it's, it's a real blessing. That was our overnight Bible study. Uh, about three or four of those people are Church of Christ pastors. Those all go to the Church of Christ. They sang some songs. There's Zelda looking beautiful as ever. And this was a teaching that I did for Shabbat. Yeah, I guess every Shabbat service, we had maybe 50, 60 people. Those are two Seventh-day Adventists. They came to see me. Uh, they knew I was there and came out of the blue to come see me. That's the event center where we keep Shabbat services. This is a lady up in one of the villages who does hand carvings. This is Elda with our beautiful wooden bima that we have there. This is our event center. That's Pastor Messianic Pastor Oni Basa from Manila. Then after that service, our, our last Shabbat, we had a Buddha fight. That's where you take 
banana leaves, put them on these long tables. We grilled up chicken and fish and rice and different vegetables. And the bodo fight is an old uh, Philippine tradition from the army, the military, where they would eat uh, standing up, uh, facing their enemy, and they would share a meal together. So every time we're over there, we try to have a, a special dinner like that, and it's, 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 it's a lot of fun. So the final update is I come back from the Philippines, Elder and I, and the Lord really put it on my heart that the needs of the people over there are, are great. There, there's, a, there's some great needs over there. They have the same issues we have. You know, they suffer with marriage problems, alcoholisms, drug issues. Young kids don't know what they want to do with their lives. And, you know, a year ago, we were going to sell everything and go, and then I had some dental issues. I had to have some surgery done. Well, it's been a, a year now. I'm all healed up from that. And so well, next week, we're putting our house on the market. I'm selling our house. Elder's going to stay here for a little while. I need to go to the Philippines and oversee building our little headquarters there, our little house. And I'm going to go minister full-time. I'm still going to work from home a little bit while I'm over there. I worked it out with my job that I can work remotely. Um, so I'm going to be working remotely from the Philippines while we establish our full-time ministry. And we think within a year, uh, we should be able to retire and do ministry full-time. So I covet your, your prayers and any support. And uh, that's where the Lord is leading us right now. And uh, well, I'll give you more updates as we go, um, not planning to leave yet till maybe end of August, uh, possibly for Sukkot. We're still working on all the logistics, but that's where we are right now. So, David, thank you for this time. I appreciate it. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for all those who supported us on this trip. Uh, we had wonderful lamb and chicken and Israeli wine. We, we, we made good use of your offerings and blessings. So thank you all very much. Shabbat shalom, shavuot tov, and we'll talk again soon. Take care.